Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. Maestro Gordon Gerard and I met in the summer of 2012 at Opera Nuova, a summer young artist intensive in Edmonton, Alberta, for students and young professionals from across the country. Having been appointed as the music director of the Regina Symphony Orchestra in 2016, he took a uniquely innovative approach for his new position by reimagining the role of not only a music director, but the role of an orchestra as a cultural institution in the community. I'm very excited to be speaking to Maestro Gerard about his journey as a musician, his push for innovative and inclusionary programming at the RSO, and what he believes could be a path forward for our beloved cultural organizations during the times of the pandemic. Welcome, Gordon. It's so good to be speaking with you. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, in the summer of 2017, we were in the Czech Republic, uh, rehearsing for performances of Barber and La Boheme, of which you were conducting the latter. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one afternoon, you and I um, were having a relatively quick lunch at uh, a somewhat questionable restaurant near the theater. And during part of our conversation, I asked about your journey to becoming a conductor. As a follow-up to that same question uh, three years later, I was wondering if you could tell us about your musical journey as a whole and uh, what it was that solidified this career path for you. Uh, I mean, I started out as a piano player, I guess, and that's where it all... Um... That's where my formational experiences kind of happened and everything was through that instrument. And um, my my undergrad degree was in piano performance. But uh, even at that time, I started working with singers a lot. I would play for voice lessons, for um, recitals, juries, that kind of stuff. And I sort mm -hmm. of got hooked into... Uh, you know, the vocal arts of the leader, art song, and of course, opera. And so from there, um, I went on to do a, a master's in, in vocal accompanying. It was, I mean, now I, I think we are supposed to call it, um, collaborative piano, but back in those days, uh, it was still <laughs> called, uh, accompanying. <laughs> yes. And, uh, from there, I sort of launched into the opera world. And my first job was actually uh, with Vancouver Opera and, uh, from there, sort of in the, I would, I guess I'd call it the old school approach. Um, that's the path that I took to, to become a conductor. I mean, back in the, back in the day, um, especially in Europe, most of the time conductors were first the rehearsal pianists in the opera house. Yes. And you played, you played the score and you knew the score probably better than anyone in, in, in the room and eventually because they had so many performances there mm -hmm. um eventually they'd need someone to step in and lead the orchestra and so that was a common path which is much less common nowadays but that's kind of the path that i took in that same conversation you had mentioned that the, the first time you were on the podium was at opera nuova uh, uh -huh. can i ask uh, what you conducted and if you have any fond and interesting memories from that moment the first thing that i ever conducted um was uh, an opera that not many people know. Um, it's called Amelia Goes to the Ball by okay. Giancarlo Menotti. That was, um, there was no orchestra, just piano. And of course, um, it was staged in the full cast of singers. And that was my first experience. And then, I don't know, maybe the next year I went back and the first sort of experience in front of an orchestra was uh, still one of my very favorite pieces um, 
Britain's Midtown Night's Dream. And uh, I was actually the assistant conductor on that. And uh, part of the deal was I was mm-hmm. going to get the last uh, performance, basically. It's not an easy score to put together and, and sort of rehearsal time ran short. And so um, I didn't actually get to conduct anything in the rehearsals. Basically, it came to the last day and, and they said to me, well, uh, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get to do any rehearsal, but do you still want to do this? And I think now, if I knew, <laughs> if I knew what I knew now, I probably would have, would not have been brave enough. But, uh, you know, in, when we're young, we do some stupid things. And so I said, of course I want to. And so, um, that was my first experience with a, a full orchestra. Uh, some, uh, quote unquote, uh, stupid things, um, lead us to, um, a lot more, uh, great adventures in the future. That's um, very true. Your, your focus in the beginning was, um, primarily, um, uh, opera and, mm-hmm. and, and then uh, gradually it shifted over to more or- orchestral. Am I correct? That's right. When I when I took the job as uh, assistant conductor of the Vancouver Symphony, I actually had very very little experience with with orchestra repertoire at that point. Uh, all of my work had been uh, opera. You know, I worked for the Calgary Opera. I had yes. been doing some work for Opera McGill. Um, I had been doing some freelance contracts uh, here and there, and and doing a lot of coaching of singers. And so when I was sort of thrown into the uh, the orchestral deep end in mm-hmm. Vancouver, it was a steep learning curve, but I, I would say one of the most uh, rewarding and uh, valuable formative experiences. It, it was sort of like going back to grad school, really. Uh, it was a remarkable, <laughs> a remarkable time, remarkably difficult, but but also uh, very rewarding. Do you have a particular memory or, or piece that you conducted with the symphony that um, was um, uh, a breakthrough or, or aha moment for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, one of the things about that job is, I, I don't know, I probably did about 30 or 35 programs of my own each season. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other part of the job was that you had to cover basically everything else. And yes. so it was, uh, I mean, I, w- I would say a rather crushing <laughs> workload just to keep up, especially for me who, you know, had not done any of this repertoire before. Um, so, you know, there were, there were times when, um, frankly, uh, <laughs> I conducted the orchestra more often than I sometimes wanted to just because, it was, oh, you're up again. And sometimes, you know, I would do three different programs in a week and, you know, it would be a kid's show and then it would be, uh, you know, light classics, teen trumpets uh, situation and then pops. Uh, it was it was intense. But I think, um, I mean, there were some great moments. I, I did enjoy doing the, um, we used to do a summer concert outdoor at Deer Lake, which was uh, you know, to sort of stand up in front of, you know, 10,000 people and do your thing. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, also uh, when I did my subscription series debut, I did um, uh, Sibelius Second Symphony, which is one of my favorite pieces. Uh, so that was a very memorable experience. With regards to your current position at uh, Regina Symphony Orchestra, um, as I mentioned, you you were appointed the 15th uh, music director of the orchestra in 2016. 
Um, and uh, although I obviously don't live in Regina, I have been able to keep up with the RSO, your seasons, and more specifically, um, and something that I'm rather passionate about when it comes to uh, engagement is uh, what you have been doing to revitalize um, the quote-unquote placement of the orchestra in the fabric of the city. One of the poignant memories I have of your time uh, here in Vancouver and and us getting to perform with you was your uh, always your thoughtful um, introduction that you would give to the the audience at the beginning of every concert. What do you think is the role of the conductor in the orchestra um, in the 21st century, uh, other than, of course, conducting and leading said orchestra? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that that has, well, like everything, it, it, it continues to evolve. But, um, you know, there was uh, a time not so long ago Mm-hmm. where um, the conductor uh, was not expected to, to say anything, for example, at a concert. You know, there people are sort of split on on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think uh, there are lots of people uh, who can't stand it. <laughs> they're, they're there for the music. <laughs> they want to hear the music. They don't want to hear any talking. Um, and so uh, there are also uh, people who who want to know the story. They want to, they want something that you personally deliver them to sort of uh, connect them to the music. Uh, and you know the unfortunate thing is uh, whatever whatever amount I choose to speak at a concert, I've uh, always someone that's going to be angry. It's 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 part of the balance of trying to figure out what the role is as sort of the the ambassador uh in in extra musical things you know people mm-hmm. want to connect with you as a person i think one of the things what we've been trying to do in regina and i think it's happening everywhere is trying to to remove this uh stigma that you know the the orchestra is only for fancy rich old white people basically yes and sort of giving it a, a more human face, a mm-hmm. more personal connection, I think is part of uh, what makes it different now. And I think that's, that's, we all agree, at least in Regina, that that's an important thing. And uh, I think gone forever are the days where, you know, you know, the conductor walks out and turns into silence. Music and, Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and then that also extends to the other stuff that's, that's off the stage. For example, what does your social media presence look like? And that's changing. And what, what, where does the conductor fit in that? Where do the musicians of the orchestra fit in that? Because people also want to, to connect with them as well as people, Mm -hmm. not just as, you know, an expert, um, oboe player or trombone player or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So trying to to give a little bit more person to person contact to bring it down from whatever pedestal people might mistakenly think it's on has been uh, super important to me. How have you found uh, the orchestra's um, engagement with a younger generation of of listeners? Because I think one of the challenges where we're I mean, it, it, we're already running into it today is most of the cultural institutions, the the opera house here in Vancouver or the symphony, we ha- we have our core group of devoted um, uh, patrons, but engaging the younger generation and to, to get them to come and enjoy a piece of music where they could have 
um, they, they've never heard before and, and to engage with is proving to be difficult. What have you found mm-hmm. in Regina? Well, it's the same. I mean, this is a question that we're all we've all been talking about for you know um, most of our professional lives. In in a sense, I, I do feel like we're we get unnecessarily preoccupied with engaging young people. Now, you know, what is young? First of all, Um, I think for us, young is not 30 to 40. It's for us, young is more like people who are in their late forties to, you know, uh, late fifties. And so, uh, you know, trying to run after uh, a population that frankly doesn't have the time is, is, is a, is a bit of a waste. Like I always think about my, my sister as an example, my sister has three kids um, Mm -hmm. and basically uh, you know, getting them to everything that they do with various activities is a full-time job. I'm sure that my sister would love to come to all of these things that, you know, concerts, whatever. Um, But there's no time and there's also not a lot of money left over. You know, I think it's more, what we find is that we get a cohort of, of, I would call young, young people like early Mm -hmm. twenties. And then they sort of drift out of our lives until they're (laughs) in their sort of, you know, mid forties. And and then we try and bring them back. And so um, I also think that, I mean, to be blunt, um, everyone worries, oh, you know, there, it's just the old people and the old people are, are going to die. One of the, one of the, <laughs> the realities is that there will always be new old people. <laughs> and, yes. and, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I think it's about trying to engage a wider, uh, spectrum of your community as opposed to focusing on, you know, this exactly, exactly. No, that totally makes sense. Uh, Another thing. And when I say you, I mean yourself and and the orchestra. um, uh, One of the things that you have been able to do in the last couple of years is shine a brighter light on uh, social justice issues within your community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, again, another program that I think um, communities and and orchestras from across the country should um, hopefully take uh, um, encouragement and, and, and insight from is the listen and hear uh, toward Prairie Reconciliation Program uh, that you did, I believe, last year under the banner of the Forward Currents Festival. Yeah. So when I first came to the orchestra, I, I recognized that we had uh, the capacity, we had room in our schedule to add more programming. And I thought, well, why not? Because the way our orchestra works is that we have our full timers for a certain number of services in the year. Yes. Uh, and we, we pay for those, whether we use them or not. So it seems to me, why, why don't we use them if we, mm-hmm. if we've got the time? So, uh, we talked about creating a sort of mini three day festival. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of orchestras are, are doing this kind of thing, but usually it's programming is more, uh, around a certain type of music, you know, many mm-hmm. orchestras have a, a contemporary music festival or they'll do a festival around a certain composer, like Beethoven festival or whatever. Yes. Um, we, we, uh, in Regina, there was a sort of new music festival in the early two thousands and it, it sort of flourished for a while. And then it 
sort of ran its course. So I didn't mm-hmm. really want to go back there. So I thought instead we would uh, do an annual three-day festival. And every year we would choose a, a theme or a topic that is of uh, that is socially relevant to our community, which is Regina and Southern Saskatchewan. Yes. And so that was is the Forward Currents Festival. And so every year we do it, we choose a different topic um, that has relevance. And so the first year was all about the uh, conversations happening around truth and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that was in the spring of 2018. And then last year, we did the second version, which was all about mental health awareness and the issues that face us as a society as um you know as we try and shine a light a bit more on on the stigmas attached to mental health and then uh we're supposed to do the third forward currents festival um which was slated for november and that was to be all about the issues uh facing the lgbtq uh community um now with pandemics um we're still committed to doing that but it mm-hmm. will likely be pushed into spring of of 21 is the plan fair uh, so that uh is the plan and uh one of the things that w- there were a couple of important things that i wanted the festival to look like that we've tried mm-hmm. to hang on to first of all we don't do it in our concert hall i wanted to get rid of this dynamic uh, where orchestra's on stage and uh, audience is out in the dark house. And so the first year we actually uh, collaborated with the Mackenzie Art Gallery in town and we put in one of their big gallery rooms, we put the orchestra in the middle of the floor and we sat everybody um, sort of on three sides around them. So if you wanted to be, you could literally be about, you know, five feet away from uh, the first violins, which is a different experience. And I think was one that was powerful for a lot of people. Yes. The other thing uh, was that I wanted to make sure it didn't turn into a contemporary music festival with a th- social theme. We try to combine all the different kinds of music that we, that we offer in, in a normal season. The, the buy-in from the musicians of the orchestra and certainly many members of our community has been very encouraging. And so we'll keep going. With regards to the 2020-2021 season, um, obviously, uh, as with all the other orchestras and arts organizations, it's going to look different. Uh, but a few weeks ago, uh, the RSO fully released the um, full season, and it looks really exciting to me. Um, and I mean, even though it's a f- smaller format, you've managed to cover Stravinsky, Mahler, Krotweil, Mendelssohn, Strauss. Uh, how did you and your team at the orchestra come to creating a program like this? I think I think I got to have a little better understanding of it after you said that the 12 core group is your chamber group. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I'm interested to know more about uh, how that, how the planning has been going. Well, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. I'll tell you that. I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess it was back in May or mm-hmm. maybe early June. Uh, it, it became pretty obvious that we would not be doing a season as we had planned it. Yes, And so for whatever reasons, even if we could 
use our normal venue, which has about 1,900 seats, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> in order to accommodate social distancing, um, that would be cut down to about 35% of that. Wow. So if you look at, um, you know, 35% of the revenue, uh, but the costs are still, too, you know, basically the costs are the costs. So exactly, um, it, it became clear to us that we we really couldn't um, afford to to proceed as usual with our venue. So we started mm-hmm. looking around for uh, a venue that would accommodate us. And in Regina, there actually aren't that many, especially mm-hmm. if we're looking at um, an orchestra of you know between. 12, which is our basic core. And I think the largest one that we're looking at for this coming season now will be more like 30 players. So, you know, half of what, what would be sort of standard for us. And it was interesting when I first sort of was kind of backed into a corner and and had to admit (laughs) that we had to cancel the season that we'd worked so hard to plan. Mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, pretty down about it. But then when I started investigating the options for, for basically a chamber orchestra season yes um you know which means music that is normally too large for our chamber music series and and much too small for our regular masterwork series so mm-hmm. all of a sudden i realized we have this this you know window of a, of a, of a season to dive into repertoire that we've never played before and likely will never play again and so uh, that's quite exciting. There's some really cool stuff. Uh, and I, I think that I and and many of the musicians are excited about diving into some of this stuff. Could you tell us a little about uh, what's happening? Well, um, basically what, what we're looking at is um, we're going to announce uh, the complete details of our season in, in three-month chunks. So we'll roll okay. them out as we go along and and that gives us the flexibility to adjust depending on how it's going yes <laughs> if, fig- you know and as um as the the guidelines or the recommendations from the province about uh you know health and safety change we can also react to that so yes um i can't really give you all of the info but i will tell you it, it there there is some some great stuff uh you know we'll we, we'll do some mozart um, yes because you, we can do that in a small venue with a small orchestra, but mm-hmm. things like, um, there's a great, uh, there are a handful of Shostakovich, uh, chamber symphonies. Okay. Um, which are actually, uh, uh, orchestrations of some of his string quartets. Um, uh, fascinating, amazing music. So I'm really excited to, to dig into that. Um, we are planning to do this, uh, very wild sort of single player arrangement of uh, Mahler's fourth symphony, which of course is usually quite large. So we'll see. Um, and uh, you know, there's been a lot of music that's, uh, that has been arranged. Uh, yeah. For example, the, there's a great the chamber reduction of Bartok concerto for orchestra, which we're considering. So there's okay. lots of cool stuff. There's also um uh, a great 15 player arrangement of the seven deadly sins by Kurt Vile. Oh, uh, so there's lots of cool stuff out there. So we'll dive into dive into that. And I think, yeah, it will be an opportunity for our, our audience to, 
to go on a bit of an adventure because a lot of this stuff um, they will not have heard before. Uh, I wanted to get your take on how you think the classical music industry should approach uh, not only the reopening of uh, of organizations, how have you been approaching the changes on, on a bigger level? And what do you think um, the industry as a whole in Canada can do to make sure we go through these difficult times? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, w- let's talk about this three-month chunk business. I think there's been talk for a while uh, mm-hmm. in our industry about the fact that, you know, the the subscription model for concerts uh, it's going away. People don't yes. don't work that way anymore. This notion that we plan everything, you know, years in advance and have everything all lined up, I think in some ways has been that's been good for orchestras, but in other ways, uh, orchestras and opera companies, I would say, but in other ways, it, it has become restrictive. And I think one of the the things that we will all have to do, like it or not, mm-hmm. is become much more flexible to look at the immediate future only in terms Mm of, of, you know, actual planning content, what you're going to put out there um, and being much more able to react to the situation. You know, that, that has uh, pretty wide reaching ramifications. You know, when you look at, for example, um, the budget, you know, Mm -hmm. we're used to, planning out the annual budget so that we know what we can and we can't spend um, for 12 months. And and we usually do that about three months before that 12 months starts. And so (laughs) um, everything is, is, um, is really restricted. Yes. um, Because we can't react to the world around us that happens. Mm -hmm. And I think this in a way while it will be scary for us, I think it's actually uh, can be a good thing. You know, there haven't really been any sort of major, you know, world um, stopping events that have happened in my career so far anyway. So, you know, the notion of, of planning for uh, 12 months or even 18 months make, made sense because you assume that certain things are going to stay the same. And um, we're just not in that place anymore. And so we have to change the model. On a more personal note, if I may, um, how has the pandemic and and the quarantine affected you? Well, it's been, uh, it's been <laughs> tough. I mean, uh, I'm quite fortunate uh, to have my position with the Regina Symphony and, and I'm also very lucky to have a board that's very committed to trying to keep all of our artists, uh, and staff, yes. um, uh, employed and paid. Mm-hmm. Um, many of my colleagues, my singer friends, especially, they're not so lucky. They don't, I mean, they, there's nothing. They yeah. are staring into the void and certainly outside of my RSO commitments, um, you know, I had actually quite a busy year uh, on the books coming up. And mm-hmm. uh, so far, only one of those contracts is still standing, which is, uh, you know, obviously there's a financial hit involved, but it's also, uh, it's just disappointing um, because mm-hmm. um, I enjoy working. <laughs> <laughs> I, en- yes. I enjoy doing what I do. And so that's been tough. Um yeah. 
it has, I think, you know, given me some space just to think about other things other than work, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've not really ever been great at the work life balance thing. So Mm -hmm. I think this has given a bit of space just to think about priorities and, you know, uh, what you want, what I want the the future to look like and what yeah. steps I can take to make that happen, you know, when we figure out what the new normal is going to look like. I will ask the question that I've asked uh, all of our guests so far. Um, what is on your quarantine playlist? And uh, anything you mention, I will put on our noteworthy playlist for um, guests to listen to on Spotify. Oh, goodness. Well, that, <laughs> um, I mean, I've been pretty uh, lucky and I've spent a lot of my time investigating this repertoire that, you know, we're diving into uh, for the next season in Regina. And so I've gotten to know some pretty cool stuff uh, that I wasn't that familiar with before um let's see what's on the regular playlist uh i'm a big stravinsky fan and Ooh. um uh, a couple of the works that i'm thinking about doing of course are dumbarton oaks which is, is a piece that i've loved for a long time okay. and then the the pulcinella suite <clears throat> and uh it's a bit stravinsky overload which may not be everyone's favorite but uh, i think it's <laughs> such terrific music I have my usual uh, suspects, which usually include anything by Brahms, the D minor piano concerto. That is also one that I come back to and I've been listening to a lot lately. So um, I've, I've the one thing that I always have playing when I'm working is um, uh, Beethoven seventh. For some reason, it oh, just it's great. I think it's probably my favorite Beethoven. Honestly, it just, it just clicks with everything that I'm feeling on a daily basis during quarantine. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just perfection. The third movement I think is just, oh. uh, it's astounding. Yeah. Um, Maestro, uh, before we conclude our conversation, I wanted to give you the space to um, speak not only to your audience at home in Regina on behalf of the RSO, but um, to uh, Vancouverites and Canadians across the country who know you very well um, from all of your work. Um, I say this because I know for a fact um, uh, that you do have very deep and impactful roots in every city that you've resided in. Uh, And with that said, the podcast air is yours. Well, thanks. That's very uh, kind. I, I've been lucky uh, to work and live in many cities in Canada now, and I have people who are very dear to me uh, in all of those cities. And so um, I guess uh, this is a time for me to say thank you to those people, you know, who both are our personal friends and also those who have engaged in music making with me, either as a fellow performer or, or as a, an audience member. Um, I feel uh, an incredible amount of support. Um, and I think also, you know, we're talking about taking this time to hit pause and reevaluate and uh, try and find some work-life balance. I think what keeps me coming back to the work is uh, knowing that these connections with people that I have made and that I treasure um, came about through music and that, that's something that we all have to hang on to um, and that's what keeps us going back to doing it so 
I want to say to everybody out there, um, thanks for sticking with me. And um, once we can all uh, get together again, um, I'm looking forward to making music uh, with or for um, all of those great people out there. Thank you to Duncan Watts Grant for editing and producing this show with me. Uh, don't forget to follow the Regina Symphony Orchestra on Facebook and on Instagram for details on their upcoming 2020-2021 season and the ways in which you can help support the RSO through donation and ticket purchases. Uh, please also don't forget to uh, subscribe, like, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts as we would really love to hear from you. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>